0: I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, it's always a new adventure, a journey in faith. And today's journey takes us beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, to Easter resurrection life. We are people of hope. Some wise person once said, In my deepest, darkest moments, what really got me through was a prayer. Sometimes my prayer was, help me. Sometimes my prayer was, thank you. What I've discovered is that an intimate connection and communication with my Creator will always get me through because I know my support, my help, is just a prayer away. And it is through prayer that faith can be strengthened. Faith in resurrection life. And our local guide to faith is Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. With just the answer to one question, he may help move us along on life's journey to successfully live out our faith and navigate our way through the challenges of our contemporary world. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. A very happy Easter to you. How are you? Very well. Happy Easter to you and to all our listeners. Today, Easter Sunday, when we as Christians celebrate Easter as the day Jesus rose from the dead following his crucifixion. Is this Easter, Archbishop, being the second Easter during which the world continues to suffer under a pandemic, is this Easter any more significant in our lives? Is it saying something special to us since we've been in quarantine, we've been basically in the tomb, if you will, for over uh, over a year now?
1: Well, in this life, people are always carrying the cross, you know, and this is something so big, and it affects so many of us. But just imagine what it's like to be living Easter in a country that's in the middle of a civil war or in horrific uh, turmoil or poverty. I think what it was like to celebrate Easter during the years of the world wars of the 20th century uh, or under Nazism or communism. I mean, as bad as uh, we uh, experience things, and we do, I don't minimize for a moment, the uh, toll that COVID takes on people's health and uh, b- both uh, physical and uh, psychological. But nonetheless, you know, this is life and we we have to try to help one another and we have to, you know, modern communications and, and life make it possible for us to share with one another more what we're going through and to help one another more. But we, we have to be people of faith and uh, you know, this is our cross right now and uh, with God's help, we'll get through it.
0: So Easter's all about hope, not only in the afterlife, but but maybe hope coming out of this pandemic, as we see on the horizon, the vaccines being administered to more and more people, and at some point being able to reach some sort of immunity within the country, within the world. And maybe we can take a lesson from Easter that while we have to spend time in the tomb, while we have to spend time in suffering, there's always hope on the horizon.
1: Yes, and I would even put it a different way, not a contradictory way, but different that Easter is about certainty uh, that gives us hope because by faith, we know that Jesus conquered sin and death, that he rose from the dead in the flesh, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And as we say in the creed, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And so this uh, gives rise, this certainty of the faith uh, gives rise to our hope as Jesus promised and by what he said and, and taught and by all that he, he left us and all that he is to us today because you know it's so important to say that every time we receive Holy Communion we are receiving the body and blood the risen body and blood of Jesus Christ that we celebrated Easter so these are very living realities you know Christianity is not about history I mean in the sense that it's not a his, just a historical recollection of something it is very vivid and alive and when we go to them to mass We are celebrating the uh, dying and rising of Jesus, very literally.
0: We're going to talk more about Easter when we come to the Gospel, obviously. But let me just go to one of the events that occurs during this upcoming week, and that is on Tuesday, the 6th of April. Tuesday kicks off the yearly National Catholic Education Association Convention and Expo. And this meeting is open to all those interested in the welfare of Catholic and faith-based education. What can be done to strengthen the Catholic school community here in the archdiocese and bring enrollment numbers back up, Archbishop?
1: Well, first of all, Catholic education is strong. You know, I hear reports from our office, uh, you know, school of schools and education how well our Catholic schools are doing. Uh, whether it be accommodating uh, children in person during COVID whether it be, I just got a very encouraging report of how uh, there's some kind of program about robotics uh, for our, our children mm. uh, in Catholic schools as you know part of their education, and, w- and how we are far and away doing better than uh, a lot of other schools uh, w- when it comes to these kinds of things. We have a, a lot to be proud of. I saw recently in the New, one of the New Haven, uh, it, was it a newspaper, magazine, or journal, that they had a section on the best different categories in New Haven, yeah. and one of them was one of our Catholic schools, that that uh, how they they are the the best uh, because they really are doing an excellent job, uh, and I even think of the academy that we started down uh, there, uh, at uh, Saint Francis Parish, uh, Saint Francis Church, bringing together education especially for the many Hispanic kids that are down there and who are at a stage of integration into the life of our country, where uh, a Catholic education can really help these young people tremendously. So we're trying to do our very best uh, in that regard. I think that uh, we have a very good story to tell. The challenge, of course, is, uh, as always, what you need for schools. You need children and you need money. And the the children, you know, again, we're repeating this because we've said it many times on this program before, that the demographically... Connecticut does not have uh, as many children at all as it used to have and this is an increasing problem for the public schools as well as the private and also the question of money that it's a very expensive proposition today to educate a child compared to the days you know when uh, all the religious sisters were teaching and when life generally economically was a lot simpler. People made a lot less money back then, but they also did not have quite a, a costly uh, structure at work uh, in in providing basic things like education. So we've got a lot of challenges, and we have to face them as best we can, but there's no uh, nothing to be gained by pretending that we're still living in 1955. That's not going to help anything. We have to deal with the realities as they are today and do everything we can to... Uh, to preserve our Catholic education accordingly and of course a huge part of this too is that the practice of the faith that if we're going to have Catholic schools then we need Catholic families who are not just uh, trying to look for a private education or escape uh, uh, the public schools in a given situation but rather we have to uh, we have to really have a true spirit of the Catholic faith that's not to say that we don't provide educational opportunities uh, for for people who are not Catholic uh, in situations where providing a good education is a real act of, uh, of social responsibility and charity for people, but those things all come together in the kind of schools that we have today.
0: We'll talk more about Catholic education on a future program, but for now, let's look at happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from Pope Francis's Angelus, delivered on November 6th of 2016, and it's called, Every Action is a Seed that Blossoms in the Garden of God. Pope Francis says, If there were no references to paradise and to eternal life, Christianity would be reduced to ethics, to a philosophy of life. Instead, the message of Christian faith comes from heaven. It is revealed by God and goes beyond this world. Belief in the resurrection is essential so that each act of Christian love is not ephemeral, not an end in itself, but a seed destined to blossom in the garden of God and to produce the fruit of eternal life. May the Virgin Mary, Queen of heaven and earth, strengthen our hope of resurrection and help us perform good works, thereby making her son's word, which has been sown in our hearts, fruitful. Archbishop, your thoughts.
1: Yes, well, what the Holy Father is saying, of course, is that our faith, religion, Christianity, Catholicism, is not just about philanthropy. You know, there are a lot of people who are very... uh, well-intentioned and who are altruistic who may not even believe in God but they want to help other people in this life uh, you know to uh, have a more just and and happier world and maybe you know to use the words of Jesus to sometimes in the gospel they are not far from the kingdom of God if they have that kind of of spirit but ultimately this world is not the, the goal of our striving and it's not our true home you know, a lot of times we keep talking these days about interplanetary exploration and all. None of this is visible world is our true home. We are spiritual beings. We are immortal beings. And uh, while it's true that the scriptures speak of uh, a new heaven and a new earth, we, ha- in the end, we have to realize that it, it does transcend uh, our experience here and this earthly life that we live. We're living for the things that are eternal and uh, how we get there uh, has to do with how we live uh, in this life. Uh, so there's continuity and discontinuity between this life and the life to come. The Holy Father, of course, is quite, quite right that it that it goes beyond this world. Just as Christ now, uh, you know, St. Paul says once we knew Christ in the flesh but we no longer know him in quite that way. Uh, he his his body from this life is risen. It is with him in eternity, as it will be for us in some mysterious way. But uh, it is so transformed and, and uh, redimensionalized that uh, there's continuity but also discontinuity.
0: I like what the Pope says in terms of if we don't have paradise and we don't have an eternal vision toward paradise, then our Christianity is just reduced to ethics or a philosophy of life.
1: Yes, and and of course, that's that's not what it is. Uh, it, it has to do that with those things that are eternal and that how we live in this visible external world has a great bearing on things that are unseen and vice versa. But uh, yes, it it is something that is beyond uh, what we see and experience here.
0: Let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this Easter Sunday, the fourth day of April and the church celebrates the resurrection of the Lord. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the 20th chapter. And after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts.
2: Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter then came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying, and the napkin which had been on his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture, that he must rise from the dead.
0: Archbishop, what inspiration do you take away from this gospel account?
1: Well, it is a joyful proclamation of uh, a record of the uh, events of Easter Easter. Of course, it is really full of uh, of joy and full of promise uh, that this Jesus who died so terribly is risen from the dead. And we are all meant to be witnesses to the resurrection. Uh, Mary Magdala and St. Peter, you know, the beloved disciple John, all these are part of these accounts that, that first Easter and the experience of the risen Lord. So it's about witnessing to that and proclaiming it so that uh, just as they saw and believed, we too, uh, through the centuries, by their testimony, which is accompanied by the grace of and gift of God of faith, we are able to also recognize that Jesus has risen from the dead.
0: Mary of Magdala was the first to find the tomb empty. Is there any significance that you see in John's reporting that Mary was the first to find the tomb empty? But then she jumps to the conclusion, and I suppose any of us would, that they have taken the Lord, we don't know where they put him.
1: Well, yes, you know, uh, the, the being startled at this uh, empty tomb and ascribing to it, of course, at first uh, a very material human uh, reason uh, until the full impact of what uh, had happened, the reality of what happened is born home to her. Uh, and, uh, and then the absolute joy to know that this same Christ who was crucified is now alive.
0: When Mary tells Peter and the beloved disciple, they immediately set off running to the tomb. John was a faster runner than Peter, gets to the tomb. Uh, he he doesn't go in, but Peter arrives, he goes in. Any speculation as to why John didn't immediately go into the tomb?
1: Well, of course, the scriptures are filled with many uh, things that have a deeper significance. And of course, Peter was the head of the apostles. He was recognized as the the leader. And so uh, I think we can say that uh, uh, John out of deference waited till uh, St uh, St Peter got there first and then after him uh, you know uh, entered.
0: It's interesting that when John does go into the tomb it is he who sees and believes. Does does that mean that, that John was the first to believe in the resurrection of Jesus?
1: I mean, I I just don't think you can answer that question. It's very interesting in this gospel, too, you know, that uh, the gospel says a lot uh, rather succinctly, but it does make a point, the Gospel of John, of saying that he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloths there and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Uh, Those who... uh, you know, talk uh, about the Shroud of Turin and uh, the other faith cloth that is venerated in Spain. It's very interesting that that, uh, the Gospel of John would take the time to make this point about those cloths. And that is uh, linked, not in any decisive, probative way, but uh, linked uh, to to the existence of these relics uh, that, you know... uh, really are quite inexplicable in many ways and and many believe to be truly the the burial cloths of christ
0: so you think the the this instance of talking about the cloth that had covered his head not with the burial cloths but rolled up in a separate place that these might be indicative or talking about the shroud of turin
1: yes it's possible in in fact i mean to the extent that the, the the shroud uh, seems to be quite authentic. I, I mean, I don't think the church will ever say, that, can say that it's absolutely the case, but mm-hmm. uh, every indication are, is that it is authentic. Then, um, or, or let's put it this way, there's are very strong uh, case to be made that it is authentic, that maybe already, if, if it, it, that it existed, uh, that the, the Gospel of John would, would make a point of talking about these cloths.
0: Interesting. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Millie from New Hartford says, I heard that some Catholic school kids receive their first Holy Communion during the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday. Wouldn't that be appropriate since that day marks the institution of the Eucharist?
1: Well, Millie, I've been a priest now for a long time, uh, but I've never heard of that happening. Um, I don't suppose there's anything to prevent it, but quite honestly, I've never, I've never heard of kids making their first communion during, at least not in a group uh, uh, setting, on Holy Thursday Lord's Supper. I, I never thought about that. I, there's so much to talk about that day, though. That evening, I'm not sure it might not get lost in all of the other messages of of Holy Thursday, but certainly for any. Uh, child who's making first holy communion, it could be of of, uh, of uh, importance or, or significance.
0: Vinny from Cromwell says, "There's talk of a schism coming in the Methodist Church over same-sex issues that have already split the Episcopal Church, and now an outspoken Jesuit priest named Father James Martin is predicting the Vatican's recent declaration that same-sex unions cannot be blessed will cause large numbers of Catholics to leave our church." Do you think that is necessarily a bad thing? People who don't agree with Catholic teaching no longer calling themselves Catholic.
1: Well, uh, Vinnie, you have to understand that any time there's a falling away from uh, the Church for any reason, whether it be the Protestant Reformation or the uh, or Henry the Eighth uh, creation of an Anglican uh, Church, or whether it be people leaving the Catholic Church because of some teaching or faith and morals, that's always a very tragic thing. I mean, Jesus prayed at the Last Supper uh, that all may be one Father, even as you and I are one. But at the same time, the the New Testament does give us indications uh, in the epistles and such about uh, the, the dire warning of the apostles about those who would divide the church at the instigation of the evil one and that would uh, lead to people uh, being division. This has been a huge message of the church from the beginning, not division but unity uh, to Mm. fulfill Christ's command. But having said that, in a sinful world in which we live, we do know that divisions uh, have occurred and that people have walked away from the church, either because of scandals in the church or uh, misrule, uh, you know, abuses in in the administration of the church or its sacraments, or over doctrinal matters. And so it it would be and it will be a very sad thing if people walk away. Uh, But then again, if they walk away, it's because they either reject or they do not understand what the church teaches about the meaning, the God-given meaning, of uh, the human person created male and female, and about the God-given meaning of marriage. As much as Jesus prayed for uh, unity, we know that in his own life and ministry, he was a cause of division. Uh, He came to bring into one the, the, the children of God. That's what scripture says. But we also know that he was a source of division of those who, uh, and, and he says this, Jesus says this in very stark terms. He says, you know, even in the family, father and mother against children, children against parents, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Jesus literally says those things uh, about the divisions that come. That, you know, even I think, you know, that famous scene in the Gospel of John where he preached about his body and blood as real mm-hmm. food and real drink, uh, eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And many, it says, walked away and no longer had anything to do with Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples, are are you going to go too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. So uh, it's, you know, God's will is that we should all be one uh, and that we should all uh, be one in and around Jesus and what he teaches. But the sad reality is in a sinful world that it doesn't happen that way as sorry as it is and as difficult as it is to accept and as much as we would want to do what we can to prevent it we cannot change the fundamental teaching to, i would even say the fundamental truth about man and woman and marriage uh, created by god uh, and uh, and to be lived in the way that that the church has uh, always taught it uh, to be lived and indeed the way that all humanity, or almost all humanity in the past, even non-Catholic and non-Christian, has understood it to be from faith and reason, you know, human reason. Well, if that happens, then yes, uh, there will be a parting of the ways, I think, for some people.
0: And in this world of freedom, when we have the opportunity to think what we want, there is always probably going to be division within any kind of organization, is there not?
1: Well, Jesus said that he came, uh, you know, there are many passages in scripture about this, that he came as a kind of moment of truth, that for people to, they have to make a choice. And God loves us. He wants us to make the right choice, but it doesn't always happen. In in Christ's own ministry, it did not happen. And in the early church, in the in the sacred scriptures, it does not happen there are always those who will not say yes or those who will walk away and we commend them to the love and mercy of god that is part of life in a in a a sinful world a fallen world
0: this next question comes from a person who is currently incarcerated i've changed their identity in order to obviously protect them so we'll say that this comes from chris from new haven who says can you please tell me what eucharist means
1: well, the Euchar- word Eucharist is Greek. It means thanksgiving. Uh, it is the the great act of thanksgiving, and so when it and that is the worship that we owe to God, the worship of thanksgiving, because all that we have and all that we are is a gift of God, and we cannot even exist for uh, a second unless God uh, sustains us in being, wills us to be, and so uh, and then when we think of our redemption, and that's where we really get to the Holy Eucharist at Mass, we offer to our Heavenly Father uh, the, the gift of, of His own Son, Christ's own body and blood in the Holy Eucharist, which in turn is given to us as a gift. Yes, that that's really at the heart of it all.
0: And this next question, Archbishop, is an audio question, came to us on voicemail, and the name was not given, so this is the question.
2: Oh yes, I'm calling for the the
1: bishops um program on um, the Sunday program. i want to thank him for giving the website on the radio for Connecticut Stop Suicide. But what ha- I wanna know what happened to something that was promoted for several years in our parishes called Faithful Citizenship that was supposed to notify us of all the important bills and assure a lot of them now that we should be acting on and let you know, calling our representatives and so on. As far as I know it's happening on the website or on the phone. So that's my question. Thank you. Well, in answer to that, there are actually two things. Faithful citizenship refers primarily to the teaching document that the bishops of the United States have published over the years, and it's revised around every every national election. Simply setting forth from the point of view of what the Church believes and teaches about the dignity and rights of every person and what is morally good and just, it sets forth those things that we would like to promote in keeping with our Catholic faith uh, for the common good and to promote the dignity and rights of every person from conception until natural death. The Connecticut Catholic Conference, on the other hand, as the name suggests, is the organization uh, that represents uh, the Catholic dioceses in Connecticut. But I might add, it's not just the Roman Catholic uh, Archdiocese of Hartford and then the Diocese of Norwich and Bridgeport, but also the Ukrainian uh, Catholic diocese, Bishop Komniki. His his diocese of Ukrainian Catholics extends beyond uh, the borders of our state, but the seat of that diocese is in, in Connecticut. So that uh, group, Connecticut Catholic Conference, uh, tries to represent before elected representatives, uh, the government a- and the society at large, concerns we have about social issues and about uh, the uh, the concerns that the church has uh, for its own life and ministry in Connecticut. If you go to uh, the United States Catholic Conference, you'll find faith if you google faithful citizenship, you should be able to find that. And if you go to the website of the Connecticut Catholic Conference, you will find uh, information from them. But those two things together are meant to be a resource uh, for uh, information, for education, and for action uh, by our Catholic people.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing?
1: Alleluia, alleluia. Today we rejoice in the gift of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, on this happy Easter day, that the Jesus, the conqueror of sin and death has gone before us, that where he has gone, we too may one day come, that even now he is as close to us as the gift of his own flesh and blood in the Holy Eucharist. He's present to us and he speaks to us in his word in the scriptures, and he is present in our midst when we are gathered as his church. So we glorify God with all our hearts and minds and souls for the gift of redemption, for the gift of eternal life, for all the graces and good things that God pours upon us, even in the midst of the sufferings and crosses and troubles of this world. We ask him to grant us an ever deeper faith and that we may not grow weary on our life's pilgrimage, but we may have our hearts and our eyes fixed on Jesus, the conqueror of sin and death. To him be glory forever, now now and for ages to come. Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We wish you a most blessed Easter Sunday and look forward to joining you again next week. And uh, when we're celebrating Divine Mercy Sunday, more to follow. Thank you, happy Easter. Happy Easter.